With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thank you, Gail. I like that. Would make any difference how you lived if Jesus were with you. We keep number um, 227 today. <clears throat> And according to the bulletin, I had planned to be in Obadiah today, but we're not there. So the map that you're reading is in error. <clears throat> we're going to still be in Joel. And uh, <clears throat> we are talking today about two things from the book of Joel that we have left to discuss. And uh, the first one, We'll get right into it. Last week we gave you the ten foundational things for understanding the whole Bible from the book of Joel. And uh, that's behind us now. Hopefully you have those all memorized in your mind and are ready to recite them. God will ask you for those on the day of judgment. You know that. And he'll say, what is it that uh, you had on the, f the 5th of July? You had ten lessons, ten principles taught to you. And... Uh, you're going to have to repeat them. That's when you face God, you know. He'll remember that day. So today we're looking at the, the long look that Joel instills upon these people who are in, in, in a real mess. <clears throat> they have just drifted from a strict adherence to God's message and to what they knew was right, had drifted into... A, a cesspool of spiritual rot. And so one of the things that Joel does is to lift their sights to something way beyond any of their lives to give them a long look as to why they need to come back and be in agreement with the word. <clears throat> That's valuable lesson even in our lives today. We need to raise up our children to be conscious of the long look. <coughs> Some of you don't know, but someday we're all going to die. Anybody here exempt from that rule? Tess? No, no, you're not exempt. She's looking at me like you don't mean me. You just big-eyed, you know, like a Jersey cow. <clears throat> and, uh, uh, but we're all going to die, and so we need to be brought up with that consciousness of the long look. And with Judah, Joel wants, to, wants them to keep their purpose and their mission as a nation in their focus, to be in focus. They, they need to know what their purpose was and their mission was and to keep them as a nation to that focus. And so he's going to give them something a long ways off. 
well, 850 years approximately, and none of them were going to live that long. And so what Joel does, and I want you to pay attention to this, is that when Joel starts on this thinking in the second chapter of Joel, he skips over everything that we hold so dear, and we ought to, and he goes directly to the events of Pentecost. So he directs their hope and the reason for them to get their lives back in agreement with God, he directs their hope to the events of chapter 2 of the book of Acts. Now, of course, we all understand that Jesus is what made that possible and that it was the, the debt of sin that was dealt with by Christ that made all of that come to fruition. But Joel does not go to the life of Christ. That's going to be self-evidence in where he is pointing them. He jumps all the way beyond the life of Christ and he lands in Acts chapter 2. He goes all the way to the very greatest dream and work of God to bring these people into thinking. He does not introduce to them the birth, the life, the ministry, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ as neither did Malachi. He takes them all the way to the product of God's dream in his fruition. So let's go to Joel chapter 2. Let's get become identified with that. <clears throat> Joel chapter 2. And um, let's go right over to verse 28. <clears throat> you understand where we've been so far? He's giving them a long look. A look way beyond their generation and the future generations for a long time to come. But he's giving to them something as to why they need to cut, keep their nation intact with the, with the plan of God. All right. So not only was that valid to them, but the principle is that we need to keep our lives in tune with the long look so that we live our lives every day, so that when we stand before God in judgment, we will not be ashamed of what we neglected to do today. Got that? All right, go with me uh, to chapter 2. I can find it here. And verse 28. Let's just see what Joel gave to them as a long look. And it will come about after this. After you get your life straightened out, it's going to come about after this that I will pour out, uh, I will pour out of my spirit on all of mankind, and your sons and daughters will prophesy, and your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. Even on the male and the female servants, I will pour out from my spirit in those days. Chapter 3 and verse 1. For behold, in those days, in the same day time frame that he's talking about in verse 28 of chapter 2. Behold, in those days and at that time, I will restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem. So there is a big, long look 
that is needed by these people as an encouragement to do the right thing and to make the right decisions now. Great principle in life. Let's go to the book of Acts, chapter 2. <clears throat> I want to read this and then I want to make some comments on it. Then we'll move to number 2. David says of him in verse 25, Acts 2, 25, and um, that isn't the right, that isn't the right, I want verse 16. <clears throat> I didn't look at my notes here. So in verse 16, but this Peter on the day of Pentecost begins in verse 16, but this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. Now is there any doubt who he's talking about? He's talking about Joel. He said, what you're seeing today, what you're seeing today, what you're seeing now is exactly what it was that Joel was talking about. This, this, that's a demonstrative pronoun. What you see is it. What was the it? That is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. Verse 17, and it shall be in the last days. Now he's quoting it actually as it was back in Joel, but this translation kind of muddles that up a little bit. So he's quoting the same thing that we just read. Notice how Peter, by inspiration, reads it. And it shall be in the last days God. By the way, he did this from memory. It shall be in the last days God says that I will pour forth out of my spirit on all of mankind. We're going to come back and talk about that in a minute. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And, um, you know, they do. They, they did. They did. We don't know what they did because it was pretty isolated. And your young men shall see visions. Your old men will dream dreams, just like he said back in Joel. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord. And now he has gone and progressed from what Joel has said, beginning with the day of Pentecost all the way to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. And that's why he says, uh, and... Uh, um, keep losing my spot here <clears throat> and the sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood and the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come and it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved well now we have the Old Testament account and we have the New Testament account and there's just lots and lots of things that can be said about that but what what I want to deal with focus on particularly to today is is what uh, is the thinking about the idea of spirit. What people think the text says and then what it actually says. What people think that it says is that well, God will pour out His Spirit. By the way, any of you who want to make a peppermint donation, you're welcome to do so. It is a tax write-off. <laughs> These have lasted quite a while. I filled this up maybe a year ago, and it's, it's, there's still some in there. And you want one? They're stale. 
They're stale, that's true. Anyway, the, the, the jar represents God. It is, and God is what? God is spirit. Now, we, you know, we've used this jar for other illustrations, but today, focus with me. This is God. God is spirit. And can I, well, what do I have to do to pour this jar into something? What would I have to do? Well, no. To pour the jar, not the contents, the jar. See, that's exactly the problem with how people read that, Gail. Thank you. You have to bust it up into pieces. We'd have to mount it, wouldn't it? Yeah. For it to be for it to be poured, the jar, for the jar to be poured, it would have to be molten. What was that? You, well, you could do that. But what happened? Now, can I pour the contents of this out? Yeah, I can pour the content. Well, remember, the word spirit never anywhere in the Bible ever refers to a person. And any of you have been taught that way, you need to get that hogwash out of your brain. <laughs> It's always in the neuter gender. It represents God. It represents who and what God is. God is spirit. That is his substance. And when he pours out of what he is, he can pour out his substance. He can pour out the contents of who he is. And that's what it means when he pours out from out from his spirit is how it literally is in the Hebrew and in the Septuagint version in, in Joel chapter 2. He pours out from himself all that he is. He pours out and makes available to all flesh who he and what he is. That's why we're, we're, talk, we're talked about uh, it's, we are, the scriptures talk about us being God-like. And we are to be perfect as God is perfect. That's Matthew, I think, uh, chapter 5, maybe verse 47. Be ye therefore perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. If you are a partaker of His Spirit, you are partaking of that which He has poured out from His Spirit, which is just like His Spirit, and the Bible is the reservoir of that Spirit. It's not a separate entity. It's not a separate purpose. Never has been, never will be. That's just a part of the old Roman system. That's not a part of the New Testament church. And yet we have people proclaiming that today. And what that becomes is an escape of individual responsibility to be like what God is. Look at Matthew 5. Is it 547? Uh, and I realize this is still under the old covenant. <clears throat> but he's telling us about how it ought to be. I think it's the last verse of, 40, of chapter 5. Yeah, there it is, verse 48. I said 47, but it's for verse 48. 
Therefore, 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 you are to be how? Perfect. Just like whom? Your heavenly Father. How do we know what God is like? Folks, that's what the Bible tells us about. It tells us the nature and the character of God, that God does what He says He's going to do, that God gives you what needs to be done, but He won't require you to do it. He won't force you to do it, but you'll suffer the consequences if you don't. God does not infringe on your person. God does not encroach on you. But He will give you everything that you need to be what you ought to be. And the Bible is its entirety. Look at, uh, look at, go with that. Oh, I'm going to get all way off here. Go back with me to First um, uh, Peter. And uh, actually, let's go to Second Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> look at verse 3. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. i got to start with verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, the you, of course, is referring to those who are addressed in verses, uh, uh, verse 1. And that isn't important right now. But grace and, multiplied be, uh, and, gra and grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. We need to know about God and we need to know about Jesus. Folks, if you don't know that, you might as well go out and jump out of the high windows. There's nothing left for you. There's no reason for you to live. If you're, if you're not increasing in the knowledge of God and of the Lord, what value is there to life? Now notice, though, in everything in verse 3, seeing that His divine power, He has granted to us how much? Everything. Everything pertaining to life and God-likeness. Godliness. That means God-likeness. Everything pertaining to life and godliness comes through the true knowledge of Him. And I can't believe why people resist doing the right thing and thinking the right way and acting the right way and wondering why they're not going anywhere in their life. Fortunately, today, I get to head north. When I'm done here, I'm going to eat and I'm going to take a nap and then I'm going to hop in Old Red with my skateboard in case it breaks down. Can you see me skateboarding? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to head, no, I'm going to drive all night. I love driving at night. As I was telling Nolan earlier today or somebody, you know, as I drive up Highway 40 at night and across the desert, the, the um, Mojave Desert, it's just amazing how those rattlesnakes all come up and every year they wave at me as I drive by. You know, I have my windows open and have my music on. Some that uh, Sharon gave to me this morning. She gave me a couple of new CDs to play, and I'll probably have them worn out by the time I get to Barstow. Uh, <clears throat> but anyway, I, I, you know, I, I get to get up, I get to go up there, and I'll see all my kids and all my grandkids. They'll be there from everywhere. And yeah, when they were young, you know, they thought they were really getting beat over the head. I am a disciplinarian, but we taught them to give. 
we had little envelopes, you know, and they were given their monthly allotment. And the first thing they did was they, they put their tithe in the envelope. Then they put in their savings in the envelope that was equal to their tithe normally. And then they lived. They had to buy all their gifts, all their school lunches and everything off of those. But every one of those kids today, all five of my kids are millionaires. Now, folks, they didn't get that way because they were sloughing off in life. They all followed the rules. They all followed the rules. They all followed the rules. They were disciplined. They, they, they were disciplined and they lived according to that discipline. And the results of it is, you know, and that might not always happen. You don't always have control of that. They, they have had some lucky times. But my, my point is this, that when you do the right thing, when you do the right thing in life, and you live according to a disciplined life, you will have the results of that discipline. And folks, if you don't live that way, you're just going to be floundering around all the way through life. And folks, that's what is going to be the second point this morning if I get time to get to it. You see, that's what the word multitudes, my second point is, Multitudes in the valley of, of decision. The word multitude there means the masses of people who have unable to make decisions and stick by them. But I'll talk about that when I get to it. Let me finish up where I am here. Here in what I want, to th what I want you to think about, first of all, is that when the Spirit here is talking about, um, when He's talking about He's poured out of His Spirit. He's pouring out from His Spirit what His content is. He is pouring out from His content and has made it available to all of us. And our, our access to that is the Holy Scripture. That's the modus operation through which God works. He works through His Word. Folks, we need to come to grips with working our lives, the principles of the Word. And when we do so, we will have honor with God no matter what the consequences in this life may be. You're not all going to get rich. You're not all going to be poor. You're not all going to be healthy. You're not, you know, it doesn't work that way. But you'll be satisfied because you've done the right thing. It's the right way. And you kept doing the right thing. That's what it means to be a recipient of the Spirit of God. God is the same yesterday and forever. He is always the same. He is always, uh, you can always depend on God. We need to learn to trust God, need to learn to trust His Word, be obedient to His Word every day of our life and make our decisions in keeping with those principles that are contained in the Word. And when we do so, we develop a strength of character. So Joel gives to these people the long look. Why? To motivate them to return to their purpose as a nation. Now that primary purpose has, you, you were mentioning Nolan a little bit ago, uh, has, has now been fulfilled. But their continued existence is the evidence 
that their purpose was fulfilled in the coming of the Messiah and in the establishment of God's kingdom as prophesied by Joel on the day of Pentecost and then eventually with the total demise of the temple in 70 AD. All of those events are included in this prophecy. Now number two. Not only does Joel give to them the long look, and folks, the long look is so important for everybody. So important to have the long look, because if we don't have the long look, we won't make the right choices today. Brings us to the second thing, and that is that Joel makes clear the place of decision making in God's scheme. God does not make your decisions. One may ask for wisdom from God, but God does not put a ring in your nose and lead you from point to point so that you will make the right decision. That's what we call subjectivism. God does not function in that way. He does not put a ring in your nose so that you will always make the right decision. God will not do that. He will not always be leading you. We are to be led by our spirit as it is properly taught by God. Now let me ask you a question. Have you ever made a decision, a genuine decision, entirely on God's behalf? Like deciding to believe the truth against everything else you've always learned. I mean, that's a deliberate decision, right? How about decisions that would cost you something? But you know it's the right thing to do. Have you ever made a deliberate, genuine decision in life? Now, as far as God is concerned, the Bible gives us warnings and evidences and history. But the bottom line is, you and I have to decide. We've been warned. We know what we ought to do. The question is, will we do what we ought to do? And as Romans says, he who knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him, it is sin. And if we know to do the right thing, what effect will knowing to do the right thing have on our actions? If we act according to what we know, that's called in the Bible transformation. Now let's go to Joel chapter 3. We're going to make it. We got to, because if I don't make it today, I said Joel. And why do I keep losing Joel? I even have a, a clip there. All right, look at chapter 3 and verse 14. Chapter 3 of the book of Joel and verse 14. Multitudes, multitudes. That word multitude... From Vine's Old Testament Dictionary of Words. That word multitude means a lively commotion or agitation. It represents the stirring or agitation of a crowd of people. Go with me one verse here to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter um, 17 and verse 12. We get this word. Alas, the uproar of many peoples who roar like the roaring of the seas and the rumbling of nations who rush on like the rumbling of mighty waters. 
Now that's a description of what the word multitude is used from. Now I want you to think of a tub. You know, a tub about this big, about 30 inches wide, about 24 inches deep, and well, uh, in depth, and about a foot wide, and it's just full of night crawlers. It's just full of night crawlers in some kind of a, you know, a stinky solution. Think of that, think of that tub full of frantically wiggling night crawlers. You get the picture? That's what the word multitude is derived from and it's mean, it means to use or to convey that picture of the multitudes or a, a group of people as described here called multitudes who are just stirring, agitated, just a mass of humanity. A cesspool of indecision. He is talking about those people as the people of Judah refusing to make right, constructive, hard decisions that they know need to be made. Living and continuing to live in indecision which all of these verses describe as the cesspool of indecision. Well, I just can't make up my mind what I want to do. And that's why it's called a valley. It's certainly not a mountaintop experience to go through life in unable to make decisions. And so the only way out of this mass of multitude of indecision is to make learned and educated decisions that you have thought through, you make the decision, and then you abide by it, and that's the only way out of that mass of confusion. And he is saying that the people, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, they just can't do it. They just can't muster up the knowledge and the strength to do the right thing. And they're just like the night crawlers in that tub, just crawling and wiggling. They got life, but they're not going anywhere, and it's just no end for them. What a description that Joel uses to describe these people. God could, and we'll wrap this down now, God could interject to them individually and make them think the right way and give them the right decisions. But remember, what God could do, God doesn't do unless it is in harmony with what He has revealed for people to do. God always uses restraint in the exercise of His infinite sovereignty in regard to man. And he does not violate the finite sovereignty of the individual. And it's like, if you can think of this box. This is the Bible. Here's man. Here's God. The Bible is the limitation 
as to how God deals with man. Man, in his finite sovereignty, finds how he is to live within his sovereignty, and the Bible becomes his limit as to how he lives, as the Bible is God's limit as to what he does to man. See that? God, the Bible. The only way that God has to operate for you and to you is through the word. He has placed himself in the limitation of his infinite sovereignty to what has been taught and expressed in the Bible. Man, on the other hand, in his sovereignty made in the image of God, can do a lot of things that he ought not do, but what limits him in doing what he ought not do, or to in teaching to do what he ought to do, is governed by the Word. The Word is always the central point between man and God. That is God's modus operandi. That's how God does it. God could, but he doesn't. He does not make your decisions for you. He will not crawl into that bucket of worms and make decisions for those worms, and neither will he you. He will not interfere with your sovereignty except through his method of working through the word that you have to decide upon. Decisions are what is necessary today to avoid losing the next generation. We've been talking about that. Even if your family tree has not, been, has not dealt with such things, you can begin now to change your family tree by, your family tree, by becoming, becoming an individual of decision-making, deciding what's right and deciding that from the Scripture and living up to it every day of your life. Developing a strength of character to be in the Lord's house on the Lord's day for the Lord's reasons. All right, let's read just one verse and we'll close. <clears throat> we'll finish up Joel, Joel 3, 17. Then, when you come to when you can begin to make good, solid decisions, discipline your life in all the areas of life, in some, some areas you may be more successful than you are in other areas. We, we, we acknowledge that. But to your ability, exceed, excel in your ability. Do so because of your self-developed achievement of discipline and of character. Now, notice verse 17 of chapter 3, Joel. Then you will know. Then you will know. When you start living according to decision making. And decision based on good information the right information, the true information, then you will know that I am the Lord your God. Folks, people who can't get their lives together, it is difficult, if not impossible, to ever get them interested in the things of God. You have to have a character base. And we're losing that in this country, worldwide. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, that I dwell in Zion, my holy mountain, which today is the church. So Jerusalem will be special. Not the individual, but the place where you are is special. Now that's how to see the Lord's church. 
That's how to see God. The God who is there. Making right decisions on the right information. That is what clears the vision for seeing God and adhering to Him. We don't blame God. We blame our inability to make decisions when we need to make them. And oftentimes it's because we haven't focused on the long view of life that we all have to come to face to face with God. And let's do today the thing that, we'll be glad we, that we will be glad we did when we stand before God in judgment. We're going to sing. <clears throat> Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.